Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 10. We are in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, only two verses today. On the Israel trip, I, I do want to share, I want to give thanks to those who have, um, a number of people have helped with, with uh, uh, giving funds towards uh, Michael Nichols and going. Uh, earlier this week, I received an email uh, from Chris Guess. Um, Chris Guess is a missionary that we support in Romania, and Michael Nichols is down very south in Africa. And these two guys uh, are, are very, very close friends. Uh, they, they, they go back to, I don't think it's high school. I think Michael came here for college. And they met in college. They be, they, they're, they're, they're close to being best friends. I don't know if they would say they're best friends, but they're very, very close with one another. Um, on Monday, I received an email from him, uh, from, from, from Chris, when, when Michael came through here and he shared, I sent the link over to Michael, or I'm sorry, over to Chris, saying, hey, Michael just preached. Uh, here's his message that if you want to listen to, to him and how he's doing. And, and Chris wrote back, and, and he, said, um, he said this, and it got me kind of choked up on Monday, and I want to share it with you. He said, thanks for sending the link. I just finished listening. I really wish we had been in the States to visit with them. I think one of the harder parts about being a missionary for me is knowing that I'm, I might never see my friends who serve overseas again. If our schedules never match, we will continue our email relationship until we can talk face-to-face in heaven. Oh, I'm having a moment. And he sent me a little, fi- a little smiley face. But I got this email on Monday, and it, um, it, it just brought me to tears, kind of, especially in the context of Matthew 10, the, the, really the the cost of discipleship, um, the, the, the people that we're connected with who really have sacrificed so much. And, and, I, and I do want to thank the church really and the, 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 the kind of the request to, to bring funds to help Michael get to Israel. Um, a, a, enough money came in that I was kind of to Chris. I said, well, I think that if, if Michael covers his own airfare and Chris covers his own airfare, I think we're going to we could possibly send cover both of your land portions. And so I emailed them and said, would you guys be willing to kind of cover your own airfares? I think enough money came in that we were close enough to where I'm confident to say, you know, we would cover your trip so you guys could be roommates for two weeks. I don't know if that's a selling point or kind of joking with them. And, and they both were very excited about that. So it looks like we as a church are going to be able to get Michael and Chris t- to Israel so they can kind of meet in the middle of the world uh, to spend two weeks with each other, and so it's a it's a blessing to me. I just want to share that with you all to be to be praying for them and the whole trip, really. With that, let's pray, and we'll look at our passage for today. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you uh, for the gospel of Matthew. I thank you, Lord, especially um, for Matthew chapter ten, this second discourse of Jesus. Um, Father, there is so much in this message to his disciples and to us, uh, the challenge, Lord, of, of following after you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. Lord, I ask that your spirit would um, guide us, Lord, in our relationship with you. I, f- I pray, Father, that you would uh, light that fire um, of our love for you, Lord, that we would um, just have a passion for you, Lord. And we're thankful, Lord, uh, for your grace, your mercy, and just how you guide us. You're so good to us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. 
A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? And Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would bless our time now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. We only have two verses. Uh, I knew that I had told Gene, take as long as you want. I didn't know how long he'd go. And so we, we have time to cover this. Uh, the, the reason I really chose two verses here is that this section uh, begins Jesus' instruction to the 12 disciples and challenging them to understand what they're getting themselves into. This sermon sort of goes back to chapter 10, verse 1. We see that Jesus had summoned the, the 12 disciples together. Um, they're, they're listed by name. It's the only place in Matthew that the disciples are actually referred to as apostle. They're, they're titled the Lord, the sent ones. Uh, they're listed sort of uh, six pairs of two. In verses 5 through 15, Jesus commissions them to go out to preach to the lost, lost sheep of Israel. He tells them to, uh, to avoid the Samaritans and the Gentiles. This would sort of limit the geographical area to the, to the Galilee region uh, for them to carry out this mission. He says where, where you're going to go out, you're to, if you go to a city and if they receive you, stay with them. If they don't receive you, uh, go ahead and just shake the dust off of your boots and, and uh, go away from them. Uh, share the gospel. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. They were to proclaim this message free of charge. They were not to bring supplies. They were to trust upon the Lord to, to sustain them. Um, and then last week, Ben covered a very difficult section. Uh, I, you know, I keep saying, oh, Ben was going to give me a hard time, but he, he didn't really give me a hard time. He just, he just pointed out to me, do you realize that you just gave me the hardest verse in all of the New Testament? I said, I didn't realize that, but I'll make sure I listen to the podcast, which I did, and he did very well. And... But last week, this, this is intense. I imagine Jesus with the 12 guys sort of huddled up. He's, he's given them their marching orders that they're heading into sort of very difficult waters. He says stuff like, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's not a good thing. Um, he says the men, they're going to hand you over. They're going to beat you. They're going to stand before uh, people of authority. Verse 22, this, or verse 21 even, leading into the context of our passage. He says, brother will betray brother to death. That, that a brother will have his brother killed. Father his child, and children will rise up against parents, causing them to be put to death. Parents are going to have their children killed, and children will turn against their parents and have them killed. Verse 22, the... The, the book of Bible promises that I've never seen on the on coffee tables and places. You will be hated by all because of my name, but is the one who is but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Jesus really paints a. This doesn't sound like a good picture. This doesn't sound like a something that you would be quick to volunteer for. I wonder how the disciples felt. Hearing this, um, we know the whole story. 
But up to this point, really, these guys are fishermen, they're tax collectors, they're, they're people who have been passed over by the, the, the people of power and influence of the religion culture. Um, and a rabbi comes and says, come, follow me. This was a huge deal. And then it's Jesus of Nazareth, who has thousands upon thousands of people following him. John the Baptist, they, they had crowds. There was excitement. He's healing people. We've already seen some of their arguments amongst them. Like, hey, Jesus, out of 1 through 12, who's going to be number 1 and 2? Kind of like, how about you know, my brother and I, we're, we're, we'll suggest that we go. And these guys were on the gravy train of this greatest rabbi. And now as Jesus is about to send them out, he's painting a very realistic picture concerning the cost of following after him. Uh, John, Maca- John MacArthur on this section writes this. He says, Jesus' most crucial and definitive teaching about discipleship, setting forth its true nature and its real demands, is presented in the remainder of this chapter. The call of the Great Commission is to call to make disciples of all the nations. Disciple meet- making is the central work of the people of Christ's church, the work bringing men and women to a saving relationship to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in his knowledge and likeness. It is what Paul calls the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, so often I think that we think that um, the, the commission is to get people saved, that they would accept in Jesus, that they would have their fire insurance, that they would go to heaven and not hell upon death. That is a part of discipleship, but that's really short-stroking the aim of what Jesus is calling his disciples to. This passage um, today, sort of this introductory of this, there's going to be some some strong challenges. I think back to when I when I gave my life to Christ, when I became a Christian, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. My la- my life had sort of become a mess. I had reached this place where a friend started nagging me to go to church. I then started going to church, and people sort of asked me questions about my relationship with Jesus, and I knew the right answer, and I you know I. I, I kind of became a Christian somewhere in there. Um, I, I started advertising that I was a Christian by giving the right answer, but I don't know that it had happened in my heart. But somewhere in the midst of there, I, I believed. But my belief had nothing to do with counting the cost or, or, or realizing what I was getting myself into. Um, I sort of came to Christ with, well, my life's a mess. The decisions I'm making, they're not really working out so great. And so maybe I'll give this a shot, and if I trust in Jesus, then things will start going better for me. And in some respects, they started going better for me. But there were some sacrifices along the way, and I'm, my sacrifices are nothing compared to people I know. Um, but I had no understanding of, of really what it meant to be a disciple. I think of when I was a SEAL instructor, uh, one of the funny things that we would have as, as, as SEAL instructors is we would have foreign students come through. And normally the students were, were fairly good. They could keep up with American students. And I'll never forget this one Singaporean kid. Um, he was a Singaporean officer from their army. And there was just something about him that he, he just wasn't going along with the program. And it reached the point where a handful of instructors sort of gathered him around. We're like, hey, you know, you're not like your other buddies from like Singapore that seem to be doing really well. Like, 
is something wrong? Are you okay? What's, why are you here? And he's like, this isn't at all what they told me I was getting myself into. They're like, what did they tell you? They, you know you're in SEAL training. And, and, he, and he said, they told me this was a place to learn how to scuba dive. And I'm like, well, 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 we'll teach you how to scuba dive, but that comes kind of later. Like that, and so you're going to be kind of miserable here for a few months. And, and so he would quit every day and say, I'm not doing this. And, I, and we would never send them back because we... Bad, one kid got caned when we sent back. So after that, we didn't send back any students ever. Like we just, okay, you quit, go back to your room, have a good night's sleep, come back in the morning, we'll start over and we'll just keep going. But I feel like some ways the Christian life, I sort of showed up like this kid showed up for buds. I, I'm not here to learn to scuba dive. My life's going to get better. Everything's going to work out. Uh, and, and I think that's how Christians sort of come to Jesus. But when I read through the epistles, and I see Jesus's challenge and how he meets people, there's no sort of given a false picture of, you know, hey, uh, just believe in me, everything's going to go great. And, and uh, he says, listen, if you follow after me, when you, when you take my name, you're going to be hated. Brother will turn against brother, father will turn against son, son will turn against father, as we continue through, master, uh, through, through chapter 10 in this sermon, we'll see things like, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword and division. And, and, and the reality is, is that those of us who have taken the name Christ, we live in this world that's controlled by Satan. And this world is going against him. And so when we come to him, we have peace with God and, and God does a work. There, there, God wants us to be at peace with all men. But what I'm learning in chapter 10 and what I'm seeing here is we shouldn't be surprised when we face persecution. We should, really, we should rather be more surprised when we're in seasons of peace. Because I do believe that God wants us to be at peace with all men. We're to pray for our leaders. We're, um, so that we're, we pray for our, our earthly leaders so that we could live in peace so much as it depends on us. Uh, we, we in America, we so easily talk. I, I've just noticed in Christian circles how... We're so easy to bash on, on how bad things are going and where our nation's shifting from where it was. And that, that's, that's true, and it's easy to get, to, to, you know, to say stuff about the government. I'm not necessarily always perfect. But, but the reality is, is that the Christians, are, are, we should not expect our government over us to follow after Christ. And so in this, as we focus on on, on discipleship, as we focus on following Jesus, my prayer is that we would really understand um, what he expects of us so that we would be able to live this life in a way that's pleasing to him. It's good for us. Um, I'll never forget a few years ago, there's a guy who um, basically asked me to evangelize him. And I do not have the gift of evangelism, so I love these moments when somebody just says, I want to, I'm considering Christianity, I just want you to evangelize me. Oh, that's perfect. That's, that's my kind of witnessing. Okay, let's, let me think about this. And so then we go to our tool bag of like Christianity 101. We want to evangelize somebody. We want to share somebody uh, about how to become a Christian. So we go to Romans Road and we talk through our four points. We say, read the Gospel of John, go through all of these points. And after like two months of talking to this guy, it started to dawn on me. 
He's not wrestling with who Jesus is. He, he believed that Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again for his sin. He, he, he believed that Jesus ascended. He believed in the gospel. He believed and there was no question about any of this. But it took me two months to realize what he was wrestling with was he's like, I want to know if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, I want to know what he expects of me. Because I don't want to just go into this lighthearted. I want to, if I'm going to give my life to him, and if he is Lord, then I better know what the expectation is on my part because I want to sort of do my part. And I just remember thinking of him going, man, you are so much wiser than I was when I was, I just sort of was like, my life's a mess. I need Jesus and, and sort of fumbled through things and still am along the way. And Jesus is teaching, there's no twisting of the arm. There's the taking crowds and reducing them to smaller groups that they would have clarity about what they were getting themselves into. And so going from this this section where he says, brother will turn turn against brother, father will turn against son, child will turn against parent, you will be hated for following after me. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. This was a This was a proverbial statement of the time. I don't think this was unique to Jesus. This is a a, a truism. A a student is not greater than their teacher. When you're in a classroom and there's a teacher teaching, it's understood that the, the teacher is sort of the expert. They have the knowledge. The student is the one that needs to learn. I think there's a lot of times where students don't understand this. There's bad students. I acknowledge that I've been a bad student when I was a kid growing up. I thought I knew more than the teacher, but all that was was foolishness. A slave is a little bit more understanding. A slave is not above his master, that there is authority there. Now, as we've been going through this section, there are certain elements that are limited to the instruction that was given to the disciples. Clearly, the instruction to just go to the house of Israel, don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritans, that's that's, that's not an instruction that is to us. Um, we're all, like, for the most part, we're all Gentiles or Samaritans. I don't think we even have Samaritans. We're mostly just Gentiles. Um, and so we're commissioned to go to all of all nations, all people groups. That's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But now when we come to this a disciple, um, my Greek isn't that good. So I just read notes from guys whose Greek is very good. And so what they say is that when we come to this a disciple, this is an indefinite third person, which indicates that it's to every believer, every follower of Christ, um, that the the net is cast very wide. And so when we come to this section, I believe that we can confidently say we're included in this sort of command of Jesus. This is a, a, a student, a disciple it's not greater than their teacher. Um, in this case, the teacher is Jesus. I don't think that any of us would even begin to suggest that we know more or that we're higher in the pecking order than Jesus. Um, it's pretty easy for us to, to take on the term disciple. I'm comfortable with this. I don't know many people who pride themselves of saying, I'm a slave of Christ. But Jesus is making this point. He's saying that he's Lord, the master over them. He's their rabbi, so they're the students. In thinking about this, Jesus has already challenged them about uh, his lordship. Back in Matthew 6, 24, 
in the Great Commission. He says you can't serve two masters dealing with money or God. You can only serve one. When I look at the apostles and their writings, a lot of them don't refer to themselves as, as disciples. When we see the introduction to many of Peter's letters, many of, all of Paul's letters, James and Jude, they start with their name, bondservant of Jesus Christ. So they see themselves as slaves of Christ, that they are um, subjected to him that they're not greater than him. They, they follow after him in this whole context where Jesus is going. If I am the teacher and am uh, the master over you, and they reviled me, they cursed me, they beat me, they're ultimately going to take my life, you shouldn't expect any different. You should expect the same or worse. Um, from there, in verse 25, He goes on to say, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. This is fascinating to me. This is, we could read this and sort of skim over it. We're okay with, we're not as good as Jesus. But then he says that although they're not above, they can grow to be like their teacher. They can be like their master. Um, Luke Chapter 6, verse 40, he records this. He says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. So over a certain course of time, what should happen as a teacher is training the student, the student's capacity, knowledge, wisdom, understanding should become like that of the teacher or instructor over them. The same thing with the master over the slave. That a student eventually, like if they've spent time with their, the person over them, they should be able to get to a situation that I've spent so much time with so-and-so that given the situation, this is how I believe that they will react. And I think that the heart of this is that the reality is that we all are, we all are influenced by people, um, good and bad. There's a song that gets me choked up still to this day. Like, I don't even know, like... Harry Chapman, we all know, Cats in the Cradle. We've all heard that song, right? Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Let's see, that's, I, need, I need Miss Ann to work on me. Um, I'll stop the singing. But so the whole story, it's a song that sort of tells the story. And it had a huge, like as a kid, I remember hearing this, and it, like it deeply impacted me. It's, it's from the, the position of the father that the guy is singing, and his son says, hey, Dad, can we... Can we go fishing or do whatever? And dad sort of responds to the son. He's like, hey, I'm really busy. I got work. I got stuff to do. I got all this stuff going on. But maybe later we'll be able to get together. And the whole life kind of goes by. The dad never gets around to the son. And now the, son, the dad is now an older man. He's retired. And he wants to reach out to his son and say, hey, kid, like, hey, can we, maybe we could get together this weekend. Can we, have, can we do some stuff? And the, and the song, the son says, I'm, hey, sorry, dad. I got a lot of work. The kids are in diapers. I got all sorts of stuff going on. But maybe later. And then the line in the song says this. And he says, and, I, and as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. That he lived his life not even meaning to, to be an inf- Not even meaning to sort of have his kid 
mimic him, but he sees that his kid had become just like him. And I don't think in the song that the guy was proud of how that worked out. I think this happens to us. I think that we're influenced and we don't even realize the decisions, the viewpoint, how we see things, how we analyze certain situations. We don't even realize how we've come to sort of construct our worldview. We just have this worldview. Some of it's because of we're Americans and we live here and we, we get our, our Bible and American pride so intertwined that we don't see the difference. Our family culture can affect how we see things. And what I see in this, the heart of this, that as Jesus is challenging them to follow him, he wants them to be like him. And if they're going to be like him, they need to be prepared for the resistance that they're going to face in the world. They need to be prepared. There's a whole lot of passages. I, I, I wrestled with, during the first service, I read all of the verses. And I, I, always, I, I never feel like that works out well. So there's a number of verses, if you can read behind me. There's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, then in the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, uh, two verses in Philippians, 2 Timothy, and then 1 John. I'm going to read the first two sections of these from 1 Corinthians. All of the rest sort of imply the same thing. But so Paul, as he's writing the church in Corinth, uh, the church in Corinth had sort of really gone. They were never, I don't think that they were ever on track. They, they, they were a mess. Uh, the flesh ran wild. Um, and Paul had written numerous letters to him. We have two that are recorded. There was at least three uh, because Paul writes in one of his letters, that letter that I previously wrote you, we don't know what that letter is, but we know that Paul wrote another letter. So there's this long-standing sort of Paul really is trying to help the church in, in Corinth try to get with the program, to try to understand who Jesus was, how they were to live their lives. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, we read this. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. He says to them, I want you to mimic my life, to follow my example. Uh, down in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says it again, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. So he tells the church in Corinth, you saw my life. You saw my example. Paul says this in another of different other places. He says it to Timothy. You saw how I lived my life, how I followed Christ in this life. Look at my life. Imitate me. Go through the motion. See how I would handle things and follow it. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I'm going to send to you Timothy. Timothy has walked with me long enough that he's just like me, and he will remind you of how I lived my life in following after Christ. He'll be a good influence on you. He's challenging them to stop being influenced by their culture and to start being influenced by Christ in his life, that, that they would reflect him. So I think a lot of things about this. I think, what would Jesus, you know, what, with those little bracelets, what would Jesus do? I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad. I never wore one, but I, um, but I don't wear anything. Like, I'm not saying I didn't wear it because of that. Then I see that, well, what would Jesus do? And I would say, well, Jesus was God. Like, he did a lot of stuff I wouldn't do. Like, I just, like, that, that, that bar's so high that I kind of, like, I give up really early. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm Gunner. I'm not Jesus. And, and so I think, well, was Paul perfect? If he says, follow after me, like, did Paul have such a high standard that he was able to say, like, hey, I did this perfectly. I, I, don't, 
I don't think that's the case. There's enough in Paul's writings like that as we get to know him through the epistles, this is a man who did a lot of things wrong that tended to fall back, to slip into like re- religion and, and, and um, self-righteousness that wasn't from God. Um, external things, that he had remorse for the horrible things he did against the church. In Romans 7, he, he, he says that I, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I, that there's this deep remorse that he wasn't meeting the standard. And so in reading that and thinking about Paul, that kind of gives me hope. He, it, it's not that he attained it perfectly. I think that his heart was right. Um, and he says, you can follow after me as I follow Christ. Just follow my example. When I make mistakes, I repent, I humble myself, I, I, I continue walking with him. Um, and I, you know, that, that bracelet I mentioned, the what would Jesus do? I remember early on in my life, um, thinking about how other people have influenced my life for Christ. But when the whole Jesus thing wasn't working out for me, and I, no, no, no. What would Jesus do? When that bar was so high and it wasn't working out for me, I adjusted the J to what would John do? My father-in-law. My father-in-law was this great man, sort of a, a Paul to me in, in helping me uh, follow after Christ. And I remember early on being in situations going, oh, what Jesus do? There's nothing in the Bible with Jesus buy a car or not buy a car or buy a house, not buy a house. And so I said, so what would John do? How would John handle this? And I'd sort of look to John's example and find principles from his life and talk to him. Um, so I think the heart is that, G, that, that the, the scriptures make it clear. We are influenced by people. We need to be somewhat introspective and examine what are the things that are examine, influencing me, both good and bad. How have I come to, to this position of viewing things this way? I think that we each should have a, like a sort of a, a Paul in our life, somebody that we can look to, somebody who's been walking down the Christian life, the road for a, a long time that we can look to for wisdom and advice. We should also have Timothys in our life, those who haven't been walking along in their journey. I found that the Timothys are super helpful in your own life because they'll ask questions like, hey, how did you do this? Like, I don't know. How do I do this? I need to, what does the Bible say? And then you're forced into the word to kind of figure out how to answer their question biblically. So all these verses listed, they all point to this. We should be, well, let's get back to verse 25. This is where it is. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. We carry the name Christian. If we've accepted Christ, we carry the name Christian. That means little Christians. We should, or little Christ, that we should become like him. I think the whole point of this, who's influencing you? Who are you influencing? Last night I had a little incident as I'm, I'm kind of reviewing my notes and thinking about this. And Anna came up with Titus in her arms and Titus is crying and, and, uh, he was like holding his finger. I didn't see a cut or blood or whatever. And Anna had a Band-Aid in her hand. And she said, he, he cut his finger and we need to get it on. I'm like, I don't think this is going to work. And as I'm trying to look at his finger, he looks at me. He's like, rats. And I'm like, what did you, you're a one-year-old. What did you just say? And I'm like, say it again. Cause I wanted to make sure I heard it. And he said, rats. So I saw I'm like, oh man, cause rats is sort of like, our swear word, you know, like that's kind of like our, when something goes wrong and I'm like frustrated, I'll say rats. 
And it kind of like in the midst of this, I'm like, oh man, my son already is mimicking me. And it makes me wonder like, who am I mimicking? Who am I following? I want to follow after Christ. I want to be like him. But then as he goes into this from verse 25, as we think we want to be like him, in this life, that doesn't always mean good stuff. Immediately from this, he says, if they have called the head of the house Belzebul, which Belzebul meant like the, the king of the flies, the lord of the flies, that if there was a, a dead carcass and there's all the maggots and flies flying over the dead meat, Belzebul was the, the lord over all of those. They'd already said to Jesus in Matthew 9, 34, They'd already said that he was like the he was operating under the authority of Satan, that they basically called Jesus Satan. And so Jesus says, if they if they've called the house, called, if they have called the head of the house Belzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? And so if you're becoming like me, don't expect that necessarily good things are going to happen to you. You should actually expect persecution. You should expect that they speak poorly of you. You should expect, in verse 22, that you will be hated by my name. This, is, this seems scary to me. And I do believe that when the disciples are hearing this from Jesus, there's some anxiety brewing. We're not going in to this till next week. But if we go look at verse 26, it says, therefore, do not fear them. Um, and the, in the few verses there, the whole the, next week, the whole issue that Jesus seems to be dealing with is fear and how to, how to handle fear. He says, don't fear those that can kill your body. But after that, they can't do anything. Fear the one who can, after you're dead, can be cast into hell. And so he's going to say, just if you're going to follow me, follow me. There's safety there. There's assurance there. It doesn't necessarily mean that in this life that everything's going to go well. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. I think back to the baptism and that girl, I don't even remember her name. She wasn't baptized, but she wanted to be baptized. And they sort of, my father-in-law had said, yeah, I think we will do a baptism later, but we need to get some things taken care of prior to your baptism, because there's some consequences that will come at your baptism. And so this is a 16-year-old girl who somebody picks up from home wearing a burqa, goes to church, gets to church, in the car, takes off the burqa, then goes to church. She's given her life to Christ, and she's in this Muslim family that's from Iraq. The family doesn't speak English, and she says, when they find out what I've done, meaning converted to Christianity... Uh, at worst, I'm going to get killed. At best, I'm going to be homeless and just kind of kicked out of my family. And when I get baptized, the secret's out of the bag. And, and so while she was ready to be baptized at our baptism, they kind of said, well, let's kind of make sure that you have a place to stay, make sure you're safe, and, and we'll let you get baptized in a, in a couple months here. I've never known that sort of, none of us, I don't think any of us in this room have known that sort of persecution. That sort of, Lord, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I'm willing to do, even if it means my life. That's most of the world. Most of the world, following Christ means that extreme difficulty is going to come their way. 
And so when I say, well, I've had some strains, I've lost some friendships by following Jesus, it's, it's nothing compared to, to what the majority have gone through. Um, as we end here, I want, there's a couple quotes that I want to share. Um, in, in the next four weeks, we're going to have communion available like every week. As I've been studying Matthew 10, I, I just feel that, that having communion available, because communion is this time for us to, to say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm in. Um, I, I believe that what you did for me, uh, by grace, um, I, I want to remember what he did for us. And so for the next, I think, four weeks, communion is going to be available. It might not be a big ordeal every week, but it might just be that it's available. And if you want to take it, you can take it. Um, but reflecting on this week, I've been influenced in, in thinking of, uh, of great people throughout the, the, the years. And, and in American history, there's a season sort of uh, where s- people who are following Christ, there was like this, I don't know if revival's the right word, um, but like kind of World War II-ish era um, seemed to draw out a lot. And, and the first guy was not, he, he was educated in America, but really he's German, Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer was ultimately killed um, as a pacifist who was trying to assassinate Hitler. Um, he writes from his prison cell a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in this book, he writes this, Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And powerful. From a prison cell, he writes this. There's another man, Jim Elliott, who you, you guys might be familiar with. Jim Elliott was a missionary down to um, in Ecuador to the Aka Indians. Ultimately, he was murdered by them after, after he and I think it was four other guys were, were killed by them at the end of the spear. Um, their wives remained. And as they remained with their children in Ecuador, this tribe came to know Christ. And there's a book called In the Shadow of the Almighty that Jim Elliott's wife uh, collected his journal entries um, while he was in college. And this is what he writes in his journal entry, which I, I'm blown away that a young man, you know, between 18 and 22 is writing as deeply as Jim Elliot did. Uh, he writes this, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. This is powerful uh, to see how this man was so consumed by the love of Christ that he says, my life is, I want to give everything to you. And, and reading during this journey, if, if you, I, I highly encourage Christian biographies. And during this window, so Jim Elliott uh, is one of them. There, he and Betty Green was another lady that she was the founder of MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship. She was the, the sort of the founding pilot of this organization. Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, was during this time. There's all of these, these young people 
out of L.A. of all places that sort of sprung up all of these missionary things. And to see that this is like a 19 or 20-year-old young man praying like this, and that ultimately his life would be given um, as he prayed here, it's, it's overwhelming to me. And then Spurgeon, on this section, he has a little prayer for us that I, I liked quite a bit. I thought about translating it into English from the old English. Uh, but he writes, O Lord Jesus, our Savior King, we see how thou wast treated, and we joyfully enter into the fellowship of thy sufferings. Grant us grace never to shrink our loyalty to thee, cost whatever it may. So we see these, these men and women who have seen this, this presentation of the gospel by Jesus, this whole, I've given my life for you, come follow me. Well, while salvation is totally free, um, I saw this on the bulletin after. There's a great quote by Billy Graham. I, just, I literally noticed this in between services, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But Billy Graham says, salvation is free, but, but discipleship costs everything that we have. It's so true. And I want to caution us just in closing. Um, it's so easy for us to look at the, this, these demands and these calls of Jesus and to turn um, this into a sort of external religion that that what Jesus is asking us to do is to, to look perfect, to act perfect, um, to, to, to not live a certain way, to, to help, um, to just to do all of these things so that we might earn favor with God. And I don't think that's the case. When I read verse 25, the thing that jumped out at me this week, when he says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master, it is enough that the disciple become like his teacher and the slave like his master. We so focus on the externals. But the thing that was so amazing about Jesus was his heart, his nature, um, how he thought, um, how he could go into a situation and see something, and then how he responded to the issue behind it. And, of course, he did all sorts of wonderful things um, that we can see, touch, and feel, but it was all born out of this nature of who he was. And I think that as we become like Christ our hearts begin to change. Our minds begin to change, as Romans 12 says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we begin to take on a whole new person. Over the course of my Christian life of almost 20 years now, I remember before I was a Christian and how I would, be, how I would respond to a certain situation that now when a similar situation happens and I respond totally 180 and it's mind-boggling to me. Like, how, how come I responded differently to, to this very same thing? And what I've come to see is that the, the heart that's in Gunner today is different than the heart that was in Gunner 20 years ago. And the mind that's in Gunner today is so much more different than the, heart, the mind that was there 20 years ago. And I think that's us becoming like our rabbi, like our master. And we want to be like him. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, I thank you um, for these difficult words in chapter 10. Lord, I pray that as we slowly work our way through this section of Scripture, Lord, I ask that you would change us.
Father, that you would help us to understand what grace is. That we would understand how merciful you've been to us. Father, we thank you that salvation is by grace alone. Help us not to be confused by that. But Lord, there is a cost in following after you. Um, we thank you, Lord. We have deep gratitude that we live in a, in a nation and a time in history where we really don't have to suffer or be fearful of persecution like so many others around the world do face. But Father, we do pray that our hearts, our commitment to you would be steadfast. We understood that you were persecuted, that you were beaten, that you were reviled, and that you tell us that if we take your name, we should expect no less. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed upon the hope that's laid before us, that we would stand firm in Christ. Lord, help us to be lights in this dark world. Help us to go the distance in our relationship with you. Free us from influences in our life that are leading us astray from you. Father, we do love you. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.